Well, good morning, church. Thank you. I love your enthusiasm. That's awesome. Um, I I missed y'all last week. I was out of town. Um, But as we kick off our teaching today, I want to start things off uh, with a question. Now, if you are an internal processor, you know, you're an emotionally private kind of person, um, you know, you can think the question is rhetorical. And you can just kind of nod yes or no inside the uh, quiet recesses of your mind and the rest of us, you just won't know what you're thinking. But for the rest of you, and especially if you're really feeling it right now, feel free to answer this question as loudly and as with as much enthusiasm as you would like. And here's the question. Have you ever needed someone to do good to you? Have you ever needed someone to do good to you? Now what I'm talking about, thank you. Yeah, you guys, you know what? Uh, I appreciate your response. The nine o'clock service is like, oh, we're all introverts. We're not talking, right? They're rattling around in their brains. But anyway, glad, right? So was there ever a time, think about it, though. was there ever a time where there was a tree, a massive tree that fell down in your backyard? Or, or maybe you were driving and you hit a curb with your tire and your tire was flat and you didn't have a jack and you didn't have, you know, a lug wrench to change your tire. And even if you did, you would not have had a clue how to change that tire, Or was there a time where maybe you were moving and you had those big heavy pieces of furniture and you needed a truck and an extra strong back to get it done? All right, yes. I wonder, was there ever a time where you found yourself in a place where you really needed someone to do good for you? I mean, maybe you experienced that house fire that left you virtually homeless, or your car got totaled in an accident, or you were in a position at your, at your work where your job was on the line, and you couldn't show up late one more time, you couldn't miss one more day, and you couldn't find a ride to get to work. I wonder, maybe have you found yourself in a place of financial desperation where you really needed good to be shown to you? There was a time when when McDonald's napkins were serving as your toilet paper or you found yourself having to choose between putting food in your stomach or buying medicine for your children. I wonder, have you ever been to that place where too many bills came due all at once and you found yourself facing either having your power turned off or much worse, eviction? Was there a time when you stared down at your feet, holding the cardboard sign at the busy intersection, hoping that people were feeling generous that day? Maybe the good that you have needed hasn't been a physical. Maybe the good that you've needed hasn't been financial yet. I still wonder, have you ever needed someone to do good to you? Maybe it was when you said, I do, so many years ago, and you never expected that you would become the full-time caregiver for your ailing spouse And that round-the-clock care has simply worn you out. Perhaps you didn't plan that pregnancy, but trying to work and go to college and being a 20-year-old single mom has left you exhausted and desperate. Perhaps for you, the unexpected divorce left you making decisions on your own, not to mention trying to meet the needs of your children. I wonder, have you ever needed to experience good from another person regarding your mental health. 
Has it been needed in your struggle with anxiety and and with depression? When you can't seem to to stop that cycle of self-harm, shake those feelings of inadequacy and low self-esteem, the memories of abuse, neglect, abandonment, fear, they, they just never seem to leave. I wonder if you have ever needed someone to do good for you in your faith journey. You know, those times where God has seemed distant and the Bible has seemed hard to understand and even more difficult to put into practice. Has an influential leader in your life moved away or maybe someone or something in the church has disappointed you or let you down? I ask the question, have you ever needed another person to do good to you? I think I would be safe to say that we all have, at some time, or in some way or another, we need someone to do good to us. Last week, Mike Russell launched us into a very short study in the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters of Proverbs, 31 chapters of wise sayings accumulated for us mostly uh, by King Solomon of Israel. And in the introduction to this four-week series, which seems odd to me to be four weeks of a 31-chapter book, but that's why I encourage you to go read it on your own. Um, but there's, uh, it was made clear that the goal of the book of Proverbs and the goal of this series would be that we would be encouraged to go to the wisdom that was found in the scriptures so that we could foolproof our lives. And just as Solomon was writing with the perspective of a father imparting wisdom to his son, As we dive into the book of Proverbs, my prayer is that our Heavenly Father would use these words to impart His wisdom to us, to me, His child. In last week's teaching, Mike reminded us that wisdom sets us on the right path by pointing out the distinction between wise behavior and foolish behavior, and that the wisdom found within not only the book of the Proverbs, but in all of Scripture It's not simply self-help for our lives. It is God's help for our lives. Mike was quick to remind us that the words contained in this book of the Proverbs are not hard, fast, 100% of the time promises. They're principles. They're generalizations. They're not truths that lead to salvation. They're matters of principles that make day-to-day living better. And while these principles for living, while they're good for followers of Jesus Christ, they're also good for people who are not yet following Jesus yet. But they will certainly help those who are following Jesus as we apply them to our lives. And he will help lead us through life with them. Let's go ahead and pray. So Jesus, we thank you so much that we can take this, these wisdom these verses, these passages from the book of Proverbs, that we can take these wise sayings, these life principles, and that we can apply them to our life. And so we pray that you would help us to apply them this morning. That we would think differently after having read some today. That we would live differently after having read today. That we would love differently. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as one would read through the book of Proverbs, you'll find over and over that the writings contain words and sayings that not just illustrate the value of wisdom, but they also declare the necessity of wisdom. 
And in these conversations about wisdom, one will find these little nuggets of life application, right? These fortune cookie-sized bites, these tweetable tweets, these quotable quotes. And again, we're just doing four weeks in Proverbs. There's 31 chapters. I encourage you. This is a great book to read. 31 chapters, 31 days, start today, should be done by Christmas, right? Start reading. It'd be good. It'd be good. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, a lot of people have a favorite verse, right? They have a kind of like a life verse. And sometimes when we read the Proverbs, people have a favorite proverb. One of the guys after the first service came up to me as soon as the service was over, told me what his favorite proverb was. Now, how many of you guys have a favorite proverb? Good. Again, more than in the nine o'clock service. You guys are awesome. I do not have a favorite proverb. I don't think that I ever have, but over the past couple weeks, as I've been rereading through this book of the Proverbs, these wise writings, there was this theme that continually jumped out to me, right? It's this theme that reminded me that there was an area of my life where it was one of those improvement needed kind of moments, right? And so for the, for the moment at least, my favorite proverb is the one I'm going to read here in just a moment. I hope that just as it provides some wisdom for me, that it'll also provide some wisdom for you. Here it is. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 and 28. It says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, Come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Now, maybe at first glance, you're thinking, well, this message is basic. This message is simple. In fact, it might be even simplistic. So Virgil, why bother with this one? Why this proverb? I mean, it sounds like something I might have learned in kindergarten. In fact, in 1986, Robert Fulgham, in his best-selling book, All I Really Needed to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten, he listed 16 practical truths for life today. I'm only going to share half of them with you, but these are kind of fun. First, Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Love it. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. And I like this one a lot. When you go out in the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. Now, there are certainly more things that we could add to this list. In fact, the book of Proverbs adds a lot of them. It's overflowing with them. But the words of Proverbs 3.27, where it tells us to not withhold good when we have the power to act, well, for me anyway, right now, it's sitting at the top. You and I find ourselves right now in the time of year where our hearts are readily turned toward those who are less fortunate than we are. Soon there will be no end to the, to the toy collection sites, the Salvation Army, you know, kettles and bell ringers. In fact, we are in the middle of a food collection drive right here, right now at Fork, where we are wanting to meet the needs of 300 families, you know, in this Christmas season through our Community Impact Holiday Grocery Blessing. And I think that's good. In fact, I think when we look at those who are less fortunate than us, I think it's great and I'm so glad that we have reminders and occasions to help the poor, to meet the needs of the hungry, to care for those with physical needs. And Solomon, in his writings, certainly does not shy away from care for the poor. 
Proverbs 14, 31 says, Those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. Proverbs 19, 17, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Proverbs 21, 13, Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. And Proverbs 22, verses 22 through 23 says, Don't rob the poor just because you can, or exploit the needy in court, for the Lord is their defender. He will ruin anyone who ruins them. And these are good. And we would do well to foolproof our lives with these nuggets of wisdom. And if you want more conversation about the poor, Solomon's got about twice that more, many more verses in there as well, dealing with how we care for the poor. But I think it's more than just the poor that we need to be concerned with. In fact, I believe that my now favorite proverb speaks to an even greater good. You see, I believe that it speaks to an ongoing commitment to do good. And to not just do good when we want to, or because it's the right time of year, or because we feel like it, or because it's convenient. No, no, no. I believe this, this proverb is talking about the willful choice to simply do good because it is within our power to do so. It's in our ability to act. See, I believe that the lavish outpouring of good on a day-to-day, hour-by-hour basis is both a reflection of and an imitation of Jesus Christ. And I believe that this idea of doing good was an attractional element of the first century church. And I believe it should be a defining characteristic of followers of Jesus Christ today. I imagine some of you are fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And my apologies to those who are not. But, you know, Marvel, you know, the Iron Man and the Hulk and Thor, you know, all those comic book, you know, heroes, men and women. And Well, if you're a Marvel fan, you might recall from the 2016 Marvel movie, Captain America, Civil War. There was this moment where Tony Stark, also known as Iron Man, was trying to recruit a young Peter Parker, also known as Spider-Man, to join forces with him. And see, Tony Stark had learned and seen video of this teenage superhero wannabe, and he paid him a visit, and Stark asked Peter, what is it that makes you do what you do? Why is it? Now, I remember this movie, and I remember that line, and it was so meaningful and so powerful, like I couldn't wait to like write that, that quote down. And it's been sitting in some notes in my documents, just waiting to find its way into a message, and I was so glad I get to share it with you today. But Peter Parker replied to Tony Stark. He says, when you can do the things that I can, but you don't, and then the bad things happen, they happen because of you. When you can do the things that I can do, but you don't, and then the bad things happen, they happen because of you. Right now, listen, chances are we have not been bit by any radioactive spiders. And now if you have, I want to meet with you after service because I want to hear that story, okay? Right? But we don't have spidey sense. We don't shoot webs, right? We're not wall crawlers, right? But we can have the mindset that when we do good things that are within our power to act, that we can do our part, that we can make this world a better place, and that the name of Jesus and the reputation of his church and the people that we interact with 
We'll all be better for it. You see, doing good is more than just a wise saying in a collection of 31 chapters. It's more than simply a good suggestion. See, doing good should be part of our very fiber of our being. It should be woven into our DNA. It's not a concept that's based on some rules that we have to keep. You know, the law of Moses, you know, the Ten Commandments, right? Doing good as a follower of Jesus Christ is simply a way that we obey and fulfill and carry out the law of love. It's the most loving thing we can do. You see, when it's in your power to help someone, don't withhold doing good. Now, as I read through this passage and picked over it a little bit, I realized this isn't just an admonition to, to not murder, right? It's, it's not a command to not lie to someone or lie about someone. It's not a directive to, well, just don't be mean. Don't call names. Don't, don't be a bully. No, no, no. It's the opposite. It's not about a choice to just not do evil. It's a choice to do good. It's a mandate to do actual good to others. And some might be saying, well, Virgil, isn't it enough to simply not do bad? I mean, you know, to not do bad to another person, as long as I'm not out to get you, I'm not out to harm you, isn't that enough? Isn't that sufficient? Do I actually really have to do good things? Really? James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote these words in his letter. He says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Let that sink in. Perhaps at this point you might be thinking, well, okay, this makes sense, right? Solomon's right. James is right. Virgil, you're probably right. I should start doing some good. Or maybe I should start doing more good than I'm already doing. Uh, but where do I start? You know, give me something. What do I do with this? What does it look like? Well, let's start easy. Let's start figuring out how to do good to those who are close to us. How to do good to those who we love, to our family and to our friends. Now, if you're a note taker, here's where you might want to jot this down, right? Good happens when we want the best for our friends. Good happens when we want the best for our friends. Jesus said, um, and, and John records this in John 15, verse 13, Jesus says there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, I know laying down your life seems to be a pretty extreme form of doing good, right? And though we might not be quite ready for this one, we need to remember, though, that if we want the best for those people that we love, if we want the best for our friends, we can certainly do good to them. We need to do good to them. The New Testament part of our Bible uh, contains several letters written to churches to encourage them. And among those words written to encourage churches were these ideas of loving one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, serving one another, being at peace with one another, accepting one another, being devoted to one another. And so I challenge you that when we think of the people, those ones who are closest ones, the ones that are easiest to love, when it is within our power to ask, to act, we need to ask ourselves, are we actually choosing to do these one another to one another? 
Are we choosing to do these things that we know we ought to be doing for one another? And we also need to be thinking, are we doing these one another's to one another often enough? Is it part of our daily? Is it part of our ongoing? Or is it just a once in a while when it feels right or feels convenient? I question, are we withholding good from those to whom it is due when it is within our power to act? A couple weeks ago, uh, a friend of ours who attends a nine o'clock service dropped a pie to our house. And it was amazing and it was delicious. And she brought it by just for no other reason than to be friends and to show love. And it meant the world to us. A few weeks ago, one of the guys in my uh, small group that hangs out at my house on Tuesday nights, um, you know, they went to Wayback and they ordered some extra fries because they know I like Wayback fries. And they brought Wayback fries to small group just so I could have, yeah, the, go ahead, you guys, I'm shouting out to you, right? So they brought me Wayback fries so they could share with them, share them with me before small group. You see, sometimes doing good is in doing nice things. And so I ask you, what is in your power to do? What's in your ability to act? And maybe for you, it's to make a meal. Maybe for you, it's to send a card. Maybe it's for you, it's to go rake some leaves. Pick up the trash can that's blowing down the street. Remember somebody's birthday. Offer to babysit, to dog sit, to, to, to parent sit. You know, go make a difference, right? See, sometimes, though, the good is in taking time, making time, and spending time, right? So I ask you, what's in your power to do? You know, maybe it's just taking a couple moments and sending a text or shooting an email or making a phone call. And if right now you're thinking, oh, man, there's this person that I need to love on or encourage, you know, or, or whatever, and, and you need to grab your phone and do that right now, I give you permission. Send the text. Make the post, send the email, but if you got to hop on and make the conversation, just go outside, okay, right? But you got permission to do that. Go encourage somebody, take the time to do that. You see, we have an opportunity to do good. Some of you are like, I'm not getting my phone out in church. That's okay, you're a pen and paper person, right? When you get home from church, Get out a card, get out a piece of paper, find an envelope, find a stamp, write a note, encourage, compliment, appreciate, connect with somebody. You're driving home, you're thinking about somebody, swing by their house, stop by for a visit. If you're comfortable with it and they are too, give them a hug, right? Take that time. Sometimes, though, the good isn't just doing life together. So what is in your power to do? What's in your ability to act? Invite some friends over for a game night. Go out with a friend for coffee. Take a family to lunch. Go grab some ice cream after cornhole on Monday nights. Stay and play Mexican train until midnight after your small group study gets over. That might happen at my house sometimes. Listen, you can ask a friend to come alongside you where you serve. If you're going to go do some homeless ministry and feed some homeless people, invite a friend to come be a part of that. If you're serving here at church, invite a friend to come and serve alongside of you. Maybe you just need to invite some other, family, some other families to come out and, and go to a park, have a little play day, you know, bring the kids and just have fun. What's in your power to do? Now, if you're a note taker, here's point number two. You can write this down. Good happens when we want the best for our enemies. No one likes that one, right? But good happens when we want the best for our enemies. And some of you are thinking, oh, pastor, it's tough enough to figure out that I've got to do some extra good, you know, for the people that I'm close to. But now you're just kind of stepping on my toes. Now you're kind of meddling, you know? 
our enemies, maybe we don't feel like anything good is due them. Maybe we don't feel like our enemies deserve good done to them. And maybe you're right. In fact, according to your feelings, you probably are. You're probably right. But see, here's the deal. When we allow Jesus to become Lord of our life, we allow him to become Lord of all of our life. And that includes our actions, and that includes our emotions, and that includes our feelings. You see, it becomes pretty easy to allow the way we feel to lord over us instead of allowing Jesus to lord over our feelings. And because of Jesus and his example, we can learn to want the best even for our enemies. You see, when Jesus was hanging on the cross in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, we recorded these words that sum up the ultimate doing good for our enemies Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. Talking about those who had called for his execution, who had nailed him to the cross, who had hurled insults at him, spit on him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And those words from Jesus at the end of his life should have been no surprise to us because they just reflected the words that he shared for us early on in his ministry. Matthew records for us in the fifth chapter and other chapters as well this teaching that Jesus does. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because, well, Jesus was preaching a sermon on a mountainside. And he said this in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. He says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and to the good. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. He goes on, verse 46. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. Paul, the apostle who wrote much of our New Testament part of our Bibles and those encouragements to the churches. Paul, who once persecuted the church, who once put believers to death, writes to the church in Rome, in, in Rome, the, in the book of Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That had lots of good conversations after the nine o'clock service. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, said the Lord. Instead, verse 20, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Friends, this idea of, of doing good to our enemies is difficult. But I want to remind you that it's hard to withhold the love of God from them when we realize that God loves our enemies just as much as he loves us. 
And I know it's tough, but we need to remember it's nearly impossible to hate or to hate on another human being when we remember that Jesus died on the cross for them just like he died for us. And it's hard to stay angry at your enemy when you pray for them. And it's even harder when we're asking God to bless them. So how should we be good to our enemies? What is it that's within our power to do? It's very clear we should pray for them. Not praying curses on them, but praying blessings for them. And we should show mercy. And we should offer kindness. And we should render forgiveness. And we should give encouragement. And in every way possible, we should show them love. Last point for you note takers. Good happens when we want the best for perfect strangers. Good happens when we want the best for perfect strangers. While teaching about the law of love, Jesus told this story, and Luke records for it, records it for us in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. You might be familiar with this story, right? You might have heard this one before. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed him by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and we saw the man, he, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay the next time I'm here. Now, I know this has been a lot of take in already this morning. And this level of doing good might seem extreme, right? And I get that. It probably does seem extreme. So... Maybe some of these other ideas won't be quite so extreme. They'll be a little easier to step into, a little easier to do as we work our way toward that. So what do we do? What's in our power to do? What's in our power to act? Well, how about the simple one? Hold open a door. Say thank you. Be patient to the person in line in front of you or to the person who's going slow down Harford Road, right? Be patient. Pick up somebody else's trash. I know it's not yours. That's okay. Pick it up. You don't know them. Pick it up. Do good. I did a child's funeral a, a while back, and a few weeks later, I met the dad at a restaurant just to check in. He and I had never been there before, and the conversation was good, and the food was good, and we went to pay our bill, finding out that somebody had paid for our entire dinner, including the tip. Well, that was also pretty good. Listen, when we are thinking about perfect strangers, you've all heard the expression, pay it forward, right? Let's do things for people who we don't even know. When you're on the highway, you're on the road, and that car wants to get out into your lane, you know, we have this thing called a horn, right? We have this thing called a bumper. Let's refrain from using them. Let's let that person in. Let's let them merge in front of you. 
When someone leaves a shopping cart and it's going to crash into somebody else's car, stop it. Pick it up. Put it away. In fact, go offer to put somebody's shopping cart away. It's not that tough. You see, we cannot withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in our power to act. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. In the book, You Rise Glorious by Bob Goff and Mike Foster, we're encouraged by these words. We need to elevate moments of togetherness and connectedness. More ice cream socials and picnics in the park with people who aren't like you. More notes of encouragement and tiny acts of greatness. More prayer because God is a force to be reckoned with. So let's do good. And not just when we want to. Not just when it's convenient. Not just when it's that time of year. Not just when we know somebody. and Not just when we like somebody. Let's do good because it is in our power to act. And let's do good because it fulfills the law of love. And let's do good because we have all needed somebody else to do good to us. Let's pray. You just poured out your goodness to us, Jesus. Left your rightful place in heaven. You came to be one of us on earth. Took the burden of our sins, took the penalty for them to the cross. You showed us love when we didn't know you while we were still enemies of yours. We didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, yet you graciously, abundantly, sacrificially poured out love for us. As we consider those who we are close to, those who are friends and family, those who are enemies, those who we don't even know, Lord, help us not pass up the opportunity to do good when it's in our power to act. In Jesus' name, amen.